Okay, guys, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10 in Luke chapter 7. The title of the message today is We Are Unworthy. That is the uh, point that I want to try to drive home today, that we are indeed unworthy. We need this reminder, guys. We are unworthy. <laughs> we are very unworthy people. You know, you know why we need this reminder? You know why we need to remember this? Because if we don't remember our proper place before our Father in Heaven, we can easily become complainers, murmurers. And, and God does not like complain people. He does not like it when we complain. We can see that. Because that's what happens. When we start thinking we're worthy, and we don't get what we think we should, we're not treated the way we should, what do we do? We start complaining. And so that's a, that's a very good... That's very good to fight off being a complainer. Just remember who you are. We're unworthy. We're very unworthy. Uh, we're unworthy of anything good. In other words, guys, we don't deserve anything good. It's only by God's grace and mercy that we have anything good. We don't think about it. We we deserve. We don't even deserve the next breath. We don't deserve it. We we may think we do. It's like Justin said a while ago. I'm thankful for oxygen, <laughs> but we don't deserve it. But God gives us so much. God gives us so much. You know, how often do we see this mindset in the world? This, this rec- you know, recognizing that we're not worthy. It's just the opposite in the world, is it not? You know, especially when it comes to uh, people that have a lot, of, a lot of power, a lot of wealth. You know, I'm extra worthy because look how important I am. Like Naaman, the guy we just read, you know. A man with power, a man with some authority, with some status. But that's the, that's the way our world is. You know, those with, those with wealth, those with prestige, they, we tend to think we're extra worthy when we have these things. I mean, think about our culture, guys. We have a, guy, we have a TV show called American Idol. <laughs> I mean, we think we are worthy to even be worshipped. We want to be recognized. And that's all of us, guys. All of us struggle with that. We want to be recognized. Why? Because we think we're worthy. We want likes on Facebook. Why? Because we think we're worthy of them. <laughs> I mean, it really is. We laugh at those things. You know, it could be the it could be Hollywood. But they have a they have an award ceremony because to see who's the most deserving, the most worthy, called the Grammys. You know, the the sports. I think of these guys. You know, their 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 egos and 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 winning the MVP. None of these things are bad in and of themselves. But it's but we think we're so worthy and deserving of all these things. We have we have a parking place at work. You know, for the for the employee of the month gets this parking place, and like guys really take that serious. It's like. Whatever. I just want to do a good job at work because of, uh, because of my Lord. But we, we think we deserve these things. That's just, it's built in the sin nature. And so as Christians, we have to be on guard against this, guys, to keep, a, to keep us properly grounded with who we are, our identity in Christ, guys. We are not worthy. Christ is worthy, right? Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. To receive power and wealth and wisdom, we're going to be worshiping Him for all eternity because He's the true, He's the one that's the only one that's truly worthy. We need to remember this. This is the truth we need to remember, guys. As Christians, okay, speaking to Christians, Jesus, before He uh, or, or after sharing a, a parable in Luke seventeen ten, He says this: the lesson He was trying to teach His disciples, guys. So you too. When you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that 
which we ought to have done. That is our position, guys. And I'm thankful for that. That is our position before Christ. He is worthy. We are unworthy slaves. We are the tax collector. We are the tax collector. God is merciful. He gives, he gives so much to us that we do not deserve. All the way from our next breath, to our next meal, to our paycheck, to our salvation. We are, we are unworthy. So let's remember that today. Let's look at our text in, in, in Luke 7. Luke chapter 7, 1 through 10. Let me turn to Luke. I was still in uh, Kings. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verses 1 through 10. When he had completed all his discourse in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. And a centurion slave who was highly regarded by him was sick and about to die. When he had heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. When they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored him, saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to him, for he loves our nation, and it was he who built us our synagogue. Now Jesus started on his way with them, and when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him and turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. <clears throat> Father, Lord, we just ask You today, Lord, to meet with us. Lord, help me to preach Your Word. Father, to preach it boldly, God, to preach it clearly. Pray for the work of Your Spirit, God, to give us understanding, to help us apply this text. Father, we pray for Christ to be worshipped today, Lord. I pray that You would Help us all, Lord, through your, through the truth of Your Word and the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, to, to realize how unworthy we are of anything good coming from You, Lord. We just thank You for Your mercy today, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen. <clears throat> so in this text, <clears throat> it says in verse 1, when He had completed all His discourse in the hearing of the people, He went to Capernaum. So Jesus had just finished the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we had just finished in chapter 6. He had just finished preaching the greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount. And if I was to ask you, or ask myself, if we were to ask what was the theme of the Sermon on the Mount, I think a good, a good description for the theme of the Sermon on the Mount would be true discipleship. In other words, the Sermon on the Mount showed us what really a true Christian looks like. When we think about the Sermon on the Mount, when we think about back at the very beginning, uh, Jesus telling us in... Uh, all the way back in verse 20, to enter the kingdom, one must humble themselves. One must be made poor in spirit. So that's, that's the person coming into the kingdom, being saved from their sins, becoming a Christian. It's one who has been humbled by the grace of God. One who recognizes their unworthiness. One who recognizes their spiritual 
bank, that they're spiritually bankrupt. As you go throughout the sermon, he, he, he talks about the description of this, of this person. They're now hungry. They, they hunger for the things of God. They mourn over their sin. They now begin, have the capacity to be able to love others, even their enemies. Um, you know, they, they, they've given up their rights. You know, it's, it's not all about them anymore. They, they, the, the Christian is a person who, who now, because of the grace of God and the work of the Spirit in them, can have this desire to treat others the way they want to be treated, uh, extend mercy to others, and all of these things that we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, really, it's a, it's a picture of the person we looked at last week, building their lives on the Word of God, obedience to Christ. Building their lives on that foundation. This is the, really the, the theme of the Sermon on the Mount. is what a true disciple of Jesus Christ looks like. And so that's what we're going to see in this, this. This happens immediately almost. It says, when he had completed all his discourse, in the hearing of the people, he went to Capernaum. So this is uh, pretty immediately after the Sermon on the Mount and with his disciples with him, guys. And now he's going to give his disciples and those who are following him an example, I'm going to show you what a disciple of Christ looks like with this Roman centurion. It's a beautiful picture here. This Roman soldier was a great example of a true disciple. This man was poor in spirit as we're going to see. This man as we're going to see, is uh, he's got power, he's got authority. But we're going to see a very tender man, a, a compassionate man. A man, again, who was humble. A man who was poor in spirit. It says he says he went to Capernaum. You could call Capernaum his adopted hometown. In Matthew 4.13 it says he settled there. That's, he did a lot of his ministry in Capernaum. That's where he's at. And so it, it, it would have been in close proximity to the mountain where he had preached this message. And so what do we see here, guys, before really getting into the, to the meat of the sermon? I just want to make this point here. We see Jesus in His ministry right here. We see Him preaching, Right? Sermon on the Mount. We see him preaching to the multitudes. Do you know that's why he came? Have you guys ever heard when we're out in the streets and people say, Jesus would never do this? <laughs> that's why he came. Obviously, he came to die. He came to die on the cross to save sinners. But he came as a preacher. In Mark 1.38, Jesus says this, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also, for that is what I came for. I love that picture. That's why He came. He came as a preacher. And He trained other men to preach. And so that's what we see. Jesus coming down off the mountain, preaching to the crowds, and now we're going to be seeing Him ministering to the individuals. We see Jesus in His ministry. And now, wow, can, can you and I learn from that? We are to preach, guys. You may not call to be a preacher in the same way I am, but we are to preach the Gospel to this world. And we're also to minister to people. So that's what we're going to see Jesus really this week and next week. Um, we're going to see Him ministering to individuals after preaching to the multitudes. But it says in, um, in verse 2 that a centurion slave who was highly regarded by Him was sick and about to die. And Matthew's account of the same story as in Matthew 8 just gives us a little more insight uh, with what's wrong with this, this slave here. It says he was paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. So this guy was, he had some kind of paralysis. And so that's the setting here. Just got done preaching the Sermon on the Mount. He's in Capernaum. 
And um, he's going to be dealing with this, this centurion man who has the slave that's paralyzed at home, sick and about to die. And so we're going to see a man. We're going to see a man in this centurion today who recognizes his unworthiness. Okay? He recognizes his unworthiness. So if you have a... If you have an outline, if you follow on the outline, the statement at the top is this, guys. A person who understands their unworthiness will demonstrate that in there, and we're going to look at three things. These are are three ways that we see this man demonstrate his unworthiness. And I think that would be true in our lives as well. A person who understands their unworthiness will demonstrate it in there, first of all, in their kindness. In their kindness. Verses 3-5, through five, we're going to see this man's kindness. In verse 3, it says this, When he, the Roman centurion, had heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. So it says he sent some Jewish elders. Now in Matthew's account, okay, which we have no reason to think that these are different stories, this is the same account, but in Matthew's account, it just says the centurion himself came to Jesus. Okay? So you don't need to be disturbed by that or wonder if it's a different account. I don't think it's a different account. It's just Luke is just more detailed in how it actually transpired. Remember, Luke is a careful researcher. So he's, just, he's very detailed. So that's probably all that's going on. We may ask ourselves, why did he send Jewish elders? It doesn't say, but maybe... Maybe him being a Gentile, he thought Jesus would listen to them more. I don't know. Doesn't doesn't really tell us. But we know he's a humble man. <clears throat> but he is a rather powerful man. Being a centurion, he has authority. He has a certain amount of power with a certain amount of status. Okay? So this is not some little peon guy. This is a Roman centurion. That means he was a commander of at least a hundred soldiers underneath him. So this man had some power. The fact that we see, guys, right here in verse 3, when this centurion heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. Does that not catch your attention? Like maybe you're talking to somebody, especially somebody that maybe has some power, has some, you know, he's high up, maybe has some rank. Does it not catch your attention when, you, when you're talking to somebody like anybody really in our day, but especially somebody with that kind of authority, and you notice that, man, this guy's got a tenderness about him. Does that not catch your attention? That catches my attention. Dealing with somebody who's got you know, maybe a lot of wealth, maybe a lot of authority, but yet he's tender. Yet he's kind. That's what we see in this guy. This should catch our attention about this man. Think about this. He was a Gentile by birth. Which probably meant he was involved in all kinds of idolatry growing up. Didn't know the true God. You know, wasn't born with the law as a Jew. But he was also a soldier by profession. A Gentile and then a soldier by profession. Guys, this man, normally speaking, would have been a very hard man. You think about the Roman soldiers. Think about the men who nailed Christ to a cross. That was their job to crucify men. I mean, I don't know how accurate the, the, the movie was, The Passion of the Christ, but it just gives you, an, gives you a view of how hardened these men are. 
But that just goes with being a soldier many times. Not all the time. But this man was powerful. He was wealthy. He, he was a soldier. He was a Gentile. And yet we see a kindness, a tenderness about him. A kindness, you could say, even towards his enemies. Look at verse 4 and 5. When they came to Jesus, these, these Jewish elders, when they came to Jesus, they earnestly implored Him saying, He, speaking of the centurion, He is worthy for you to grant this to Him. For He loves our nation. And it was He who built us our synagogue. The Romans and the Jews were not typically friends. The Romans had enslaved the Jews. And yet we see this man, these, these Jewish elders speaking so highly of this man because of, because of his kindness to them. They, they, they said, he, he is worthy for you to grant this to him because he, he loves our nation. And it was he who built us our synagogue. I think maybe, maybe, maybe this Gentile man understood this truth that Paul would later speak in Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, there's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ, Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the, to the promise. We see a kindness in this man. We see a kindness in this man towards the life of a slave. We see a kindness in the man towards, towards uh, the Jews here. In verse 5 again. For He loves our nation, and it was He who built us our synagogue. He loves our nation. I think this could parallel to the fact that He had, he had a love for the one true God. That's what He identified these Jewish, the Jewish nation with. That the fact that He built the synagogue. And you know what that literally means, guys? He was a wealthy man. He, he literally spent His money and He built this whole thing Himself. We see a very generous man here, a very kind man towards those who would be considered his enemies. But we see his generosity. His love for the one true God it comes out in his generosity. You don't have to harp on a, on a Christian to give. It comes out of a love for Christ. In other words, he was, he was kind towards his slave. This man with such power, this man with such authority, with such rank, kind towards a slave, tender towards a man suffering. He was kind towards the Jews, who you could say were in, sense, in a sense his enemies. You know, you, know why? you know why he's able to be kind here? Because we're going to see in the text that he recognizes how unworthy he is He's able to be kind to these people who are underneath him, the slave, towards his enemies. Why? Because he's rec he recognizes that he's not above anybody. Even with his power and authority, he recognizes I'm not above anybody. And you know, that's when a man is able to be kind. That's when a woman is able to be kind. When we realize we're not better than anybody. When we don't have the mindset of the Pharisee, right? God, I'm, I'm so... I'm so glad I'm not like all these other sinners you, you created. No, that's the opposite of this. This man realized, I'm no, I'm no better than anybody. Tender towards the suffering. Kind towards his enemies. What, what about you? 
Are you able to be kind towards those who maybe would be beneath you? Maybe, maybe, maybe not necessarily your enemies, but people that are different than us. Are we able to be kind and generous simply because we recognize I'm no different than they are? He was so kind in verse 4. Look what the Jews said. He was so kind that the Jews said, He is worthy. That's what the Jews told Jesus. When they came to Jesus, these Jewish elders, they earnestly implored Him saying, He is worthy for you to grant this to Him. We'll speak to that more in a moment, but uh, let other people praise you, saints. Proverbs says something about that. When a, when a man's ways... Because this is the life he was living, in other words. He was living in such a way. He had such a tenderness and a kindness about him that these Jews ignorantly said, Jesus, He's worthy. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord... He makes even His enemies be at peace with Him. So sometimes our life, we can live such a life that even those who oppose us, they say, man, he's a, he's a good man. So let that be us. So we see His kindness, first of all. That this man is a very kind man. He is a very tender man. He is a very generous man. Second, we see His faith. A person who understands their unworthiness will demonstrate it in their kindness. And they will also demonstrate it in their faith. We're going to see this in verses 3, verse 7, and verse 9. Look at verse 3. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders asking him to come and save the life of his slave. He obviously knew enough about Jesus to know who he was. And there were, there were some commentators who differed on this, but the majority that I read agreed on this, that thinks that this man was a, a true convert, a true follower of Christ, had been regenerated. Look at what he calls him in verse 6. Now Jesus started on His way with them, and when He was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to Him, Lord, do not trouble Yourself. So He, he recognizes Him as, by the right title. Now obviously, just saying those words, we know is not enough. Jesus told us that last week, right? In verse 46, that there will be many on that day. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? But we recognize that's not this man, okay? We're going to see his faith. In verse 3, again, when he heard about him, he sent, he sent these Jewish elders asking him what? To come and save the life of his slave. He recognized the power and authority that Jesus has. He knew enough about Him. The fact that Jesus has power over sickness. That Jesus has power over death. And this man obviously understood this. This man obviously knew this. You even see Jesus commending His faith down in verse 9. Again, we're going to go through this, but look at verse 9. When Jesus heard this, He marveled at Him and turned and said to the crowd that was following Him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. So we know the man has strong faith. He even answers his prayer in verse 10, guys. I mean, he did. He ended up healing his slave. But we see, this is his first response. This is something that I can't help my slave with. Jesus can help. 
That's his first response here in this text. Is that our first response? Is that your first response? Is that my first response? Even with things like sickness, do we go to Christ in prayer? Or do we just immediately turn to somebody else? Do we go to Christ? This is simple faith. He knew Christ had the power. He knew who He was. If you get a bad health report, do you turn to Christ? Do you go straight to Jesus in prayer? Are we depending on Him? This man was depending on Jesus. Go to Jesus and tell Him, my slave is suffering and about to die. Are we depending on and trusting in Jesus to do what only He can do? And are we submitting to His will in those times of difficulties? When we get that unpleasant news, do we submit to Christ in humility? Recognizing I'm not worthy to have anything. I'm not worthy of my health, so I've got this bad health report. Well, it's, it's a gift anyway. Lord, Lord, if it be Your will, will You heal me? But if not, I submit to You because I'm unworthy. That's what's going on here. Lord, save the life of my slave. That's what He's saying. Totally dependent upon Christ. He's paralyzed, Lord. He's helpless, God. And He's at death's door. If You don't help, He's going to die. You see this man's faith? Oh, dear church, sinners are enslaved. Are enslaved. Are they not? Sinners are paralyzed by sin and on death's door. Do we go to Christ in prayer? Do you pray for Jesus to come and save the life of your loved one who is a slave to sin? Do we go to Christ? Are you a slave to sin? If anybody would hear this message who is a slave to sin, I would appeal to you to go to Christ. It's Christ who said in Luke chapter 4 that He, he, he came to pro proclaim release to the captives. He is the one who can save slaves of sin to give them mercy. Those one, you have to understand this. If you're, a, if you're not a Christian today, you're a slave to sin. And you're on death's door. And it's only the mercy of God that's keeping you from dropping into hell. But do we pray for those? Do we pray for those who do not know Christ? In desperation. Lord, if You don't save them, they're paralyzed. They're dead in their sins. They can't respond. You have to come in Your mercy. Or do we say, they're too far gone? Do we, do we give up? Do we give up on praying for those people? You know, Jesus tells us, we'll see it in Luke 18, He gives us some parables that teaches us to pray and not lose heart. Pray and not lose heart. That's what, that's what this man is doing. He is desperate. Go get Jesus. He is the only one who can help. Look what he says in verse 7. We really begin to see his faith here. In verse 7, For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you, but just say the word. Did you hear that? Just say the word and my servant will be healed. Just say the Word, Lord, at Your Word. You are God incarnate. 
I know who you are. Just say the word. You are the creator. God is the creator. Amen? Genesis 1, verses 1 and 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God said, right? God said, let there be light. And there was light. It's the same God. It's the same God. Lord, at your word, just say the word. Just say the word, Jesus. Lord, I know you have the power. Just say the word, Colossians 1, verse 16. Speaking of Jesus. By Him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Jesus Christ. Through Him and for Him. All things. So He understood this. Lord, at Your Word. Beloved, God's Word is powerful. We must never forget that. God's Word is powerful. His Word, we have His Word right here. And it's powerful. Just say the Word, Lord. Just say the Word. And look what He says again in verse 7. I did not even consider myself worthy to come to You, but just say the Word and my servant will be healed. In other words, He understands, Lord, You don't even have to be here. You don't even have to be in my house. Just say the Word. Your Word is powerful. You have authority. Beloved, that should remind us that God's Word cannot be bound by four walls, by, by, by a distance. It cannot be bound. It cannot be imprisoned. Just say the Word. Maybe you have a loved one that's far away. Yes, far away from Christ, but literally far away. Like, doesn't live nearby you. You can never maybe actually physically see them again. But you know who is there? Maybe not Jesus in His humanity, but Jesus in His deity is everywhere. He is powerful to save. This man understood that. Lord, you don't even have to be here. Just say the word. You know, you can write. Maybe you have a, maybe you have a loved one that, that, that you can never see again, but you can maybe, maybe write them, maybe text them. God's Word is powerful. And obviously you can pray for them. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't give up. Dear church, He is mighty to save. He is powerful to save, even if we're not there with them. Right? It's not our words anyway. It's God's Word. It's God's power. At the sound of His voice, we need to remember that when He speaks to a sinner and He says, come, they will come. Sinners will go from darkness to light. So we need to seek Christ in desperation. Lord, at Your Word, You can save my loved one. So this man demonstrates his unworthiness and his kindness. We can see God we can see God's hand all over this man, making him into a tender, kind man. He recognizes, I'm, yeah, I'm a Roman centurion, but I'm nothing. I'm no better than my slave. I'm no better than the Jews. We see his faith in Christ, faith in his word, faith in his person. And now we're going to see him demonstrating his unworthiness and his humility in verses 6 through 8. We're going to see this man's humility. Look at verse 6. Now Jesus started on His way with them. And when He was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends 
saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not worthy. What did the Jews say about him? He is worthy. He is so worthy, Lord. Bless their hearts. <laughs> but they were wrong. You guys ever have somebody do that? You know, they, they tell you just how they mean well. Oh, you're such a great God. Or you're such a great, you're such a great guy. And God just, you know, hey, bless their heart. <laughs> just, just humbly say, I appreciate that, but uh, I'm, I'm really not. It's Christ. But that's what's going on here. These Jews, really falsely understanding, really probably still bound up in their works righteousness. They're just seeing this guy. I mean, he's a great guy. He's been so good to us. He's worthy. But this man knows he's not worthy. I'm not worthy. Let another praise you and not your own mouth, a stranger and not your own lips. So it's okay. If people praise you and tell you how worthy you are, just remember you're not like this man. Now this is the proper response. This man gives the proper response. He is demonstrating humility. That's what he's saying in verse 6. I'm not, don't trouble yourself further, Lord. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. And then in verse 7, he says it again. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. I'm not worthy for you to come to me. I'm not worthy to come to you. What's he saying? I'm not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. I know who you are. Do we not see that in the scriptures, guys? Do you remember Peter in chapter 5, verse 8? When Jesus had performed the miracle in the boat, said, Peter, cast your net over here, caught all the fish. What did Peter say? Oh, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. And then we see it again in, in, the, in, the, in the parable of the tax collector that Carl read to us, the tax collector. He recognized his sinfulness, his unworthiness. What does it say? He beat his breast. He, he would not even look up to heaven because he knew how unworthy he is, how, how holy God is, how majestic Christ is. And the deceitfulness of sin that men think they can stand and flaunt their self-righteousness before God. And even tell Him on that day, oh, may we see like this man how unworthy we are. That's what's a beautiful picture about this man. It's a beautiful picture when anybody sees how unworthy they are before Christ, but to see a, 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 a centurion with wealth, with power, realize how unworthy. Beloved, we are unworthy. Do you understand that? You and I are unworthy. Why? What makes us unworthy? Our sin against God. We have all become like what? One who is unclean. Our sins have separated us from God. We are unworthy. But that's what makes grace grace. Amen? That's what makes the Gospel good news. Is that God saves unworthy sinners like us. So this, this unworthiness, this humility, it produces kindness towards others. You know why this unworthiness that this man possesses, this he, he, realization of who he truly is? 
You know how it can produce kindness towards others like we've seen in this man? Because it kills that haughty spirit. Humility kills that haughty spirit. When we recognize who we are, then we can approach anybody and realize I'm no better than you. I may have more money than you. I may have a better home than you. I may be smarter than you. I may be this or this or this. But none of that matters. I'm unworthy before God. And it's only by His mercy and His grace that I'm even alive, much less His child. This unworthiness produces a dependence on Christ that we've seen. Right? This man is depending on Christ. Lord, I'm a, I'm a Roman centurion and I have power, but I can't help this man. He's going to die. I need you. This unworthiness produces generosity towards the Lord's work. This man understands, yes, I'm wealthy, but my money's not my own. God's given it all to me. And that I could give back to Him. It's all produced by the Spirit of God humbling a person. When we enter the kingdom of heaven, when we are made poor in spirit, and we realize that, wow, I am really saved by God's grace. And I just want to love Him. All of these things come as an expression of that. Beloved, do you recognize how unworthy you are? Can we agree as a church, as individuals, that we are unworthy? We are unworthy to have Christ in our home, just like this man. When I think about my sinful past, and I think about the, the fact that I can praise Jesus Christ, even in my home, with my wife, with my kids, I still feel how unworthy I am. We are unworthy to even call upon His name. You realize that, guys? To even call upon the name of the Lord, how unworthy we are. We are unworthy to look up to heaven like the tax collector. We are unworthy to breathe our next breath. We are unworthy to eat our next meal. We are unworthy to ask Him for anything. We are so unworthy to preach His Word to other sinners. But He has saved us by His grace and given all these things and so much more as a gift. We are unworthy servants. But saved by the grace of God. Look at this. Look at verse 6 again. We see another little phrase here. Jesus started on His way with them and when He was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to Him, Lord, do not trouble Yourself further. Do not trouble yourself further. You know what that word trouble means? Don't be bothered anymore. Don't be, don't be annoyed. Don't be agitated. See, this man was humble. He recognized his unworthiness, but he, still, he didn't have a full understanding of the depths of God's grace, just like you and I don't at times. Do you ever feel that way? Oh Lord, I'm here again. Here's my sin once again. Do you feel that God is bothered? Do you feel that God is agitated by your sin? Do you feel that God is annoyed? That's what this man is saying. Don't be bothered, Lord. Oh, can I tell you, church? He's not. You ever, you ever love somebody and you, and you try to help them? Maybe, maybe you have to go out of your way. It's an inconvenience, maybe. But you, go, but you don't mind doing it. And they say, oh, 
oh, it makes me feel so bad that you went through so much trouble. What do we tell them? It's okay. I love you. I do this because I love you. Sinners like us can say that to those we love. How much more does Jesus Christ love us? It's no trouble for Him. To, it's, it's not a burden for Him to come to His child who he, whom He has adopted. This is why He came. He came to save. He came to rescue sinners. It's no trouble for a rebellious sinner to come to Christ and plead for mercy. How much less for one of His children to come to Him and say, Lord, I need Your help. I think we all struggle with that at times. Lord, here, here, here I am again. But we have to walk by faith. Church and not by sight, not by how we feel. What does God's Word say to the Christian? If we confess our sins, <laughs> He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You go to Him every day. He's ready for you. It doesn't bother Him. And then in 1 John 2, 1, just right after that, John's in the same flow of thought here in 1 John 2, 1. He said, if anyone sins, he's speaking to Christians here, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. You know what that word advocate means? The next time you feel that you're bothering the Lord, we, it says you have an advocate. This is, some, this is someone, the Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity is your advocate pleading your cause before the Father. Oh Lord, Father, I have purchased His salvation. He's mine. There's no condemnation for Him. He is pleading your cause before the judge. He is coming to your aid. He stands by your side every time. That's our Lord. In verse 8, we see His humility and His faith working together. He says, For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go, and he goes. And to another, Come, and he comes. And to my slave, Do this, and he does it. He says, I'm under authority. I'm under authority. There's, there's like a ranking system. He said, I'm under authority and I know how to obey. When I'm given orders, I know how to obey. And others under me obey when I give them commands. Go, He goes. Come, He comes. What is He saying here? Lord, I believe Your commands will be obeyed. That's what He's saying. I believe at Your Word, Your commands will be obeyed. If those under my authority, if those even under my sinful authority, obey, how much more will this sickness obey you, Lord? That's what He's saying. You are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are the sinless one. The one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. I believe that this sickness will obey you. Jesus Christ has all authority over sickness and even over death which we'll see even more next week. 
This man understood authority. And he understands Christ's authority. His sinless, perfect authority. His humility and His faith working together. And in verse 9, we're going to close here in just a moment. In verse 9, Jesus makes this statement. Now when Jesus heard this, He marveled at Him and turned and said to the crowd that was following Him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. He marveled. That just means He was amazed. You know that word marveled? It's only used twice in the New Testament. Or I know in the Gospel of Luke. I know that. And, and the first time it was used in Jesus' hometown in Nazareth. It says he, he marveled at their unbelief. Well now, he, he is amazed at this man's faith. You know why I think He marveled? I think it's very simple because it's so rare. This, this, kind, of, this kind of humility. This kind of... It's so rare in our world, is it not? I mean, we even see that now. But He says this in verse 9. When He heard this, He marveled at Him and turned and said to the crowd that was following Him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. Now obviously, there was great faith in Israel with some individuals that we've already seen. You think of Mary, his mother. She had great faith. You think of Simeon in the temple when Jesus was born. That was a man of great faith. But as a whole, turn over to Matthew, guys, real quickly. Really the last thing we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 8. This is Matthew's account of the same text. Matthew gives us a couple verses here of what really Jesus is saying here. Matthew 8, 11 and 12. In verse, in verse 10, Now Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. So there's basically the same statement. Look at verse 11 and 12. I say to you that many will come from east and west. He's, he's, he's referencing the Gentiles. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom, this is specifically just talking about the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Obviously, there was faith in Israel, but Israel as a whole was steeped in false religion, trusting in their self-righteousness for their salvation. As a whole, Israel was self-righteous. That's what he's saying. Church, that's what he's saying. Who refused to humble themselves like this centurion has. Who refused to humble themselves. Who think they are worthy of God's love because of their birthright that we see many in our day thinking the same thing. And so Jesus is saying this. This is a demonstration of great faith. This man realizes that he is not worthy. He has demonstrated that to the, to the extent where Jesus is amazed at it. He tells us in Luke 18 that 
all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Whether it's the nation of Israel or whether it's individual people in our day, if you exalt yourself before the Lord in this life, thinking you are so worthy and so good like the tax collector, you'll be humbled on the day of judgment. But it's those who humble themselves now. God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy, but have mercy upon me. Oh, that person will be exalted on that day. And I'm going to close with Romans 3, 28 and 29. Just this beautiful passage that really sums up everything we're saying about how we're saved and about who salvation is for. We'll just let Paul close us out. Romans 3, 28 and 29. Paul says, For we maintain that a man is justified by faith. That means he's saved by faith apart from works of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also. And for that I am very grateful that he saves those simply who humble themselves before him. And cry out for mercy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for an example, Lord, in this man's life of uh, somebody who recognizes how unworthy they are. Father, may we all remember that, God. That's what we first have to recognize in order to enter Your kingdom, God. But may we, may we continue to recognize that, Lord, as Your people. May, o- may we always remember how unworthy we are. For anything good. Lord, but at the same time, being your children adopted into your family, Father, you're there as an ever present help in our time of need, Lord. We thank you for that. Thank you for your grace. We thank you for your grace, Lord. We cannot outsin your grace. That doesn't mean we sin so that grace may increase. But at the same time, we cannot outsin your grace, Lord. You love us, you have purchased us. We are now free from condemnation because of Christ. And Father, we thank You for Your love and Your care for us. Lord, You have our hairs numbered. You take care of the birds. You take care of the flowers in the field. How much more do You love us? Father, we thank You so much for Your kindness to us, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.